Our passage this morning comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45. You can find it in your Bible, of course, in your bulletin, or on the screen behind me. Mark 1, 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is God's word. Well, good morning to all of you. Uh, you know, whenever we gather on a Sunday morning, one of the things I love it that we can do is to unite our hearts in prayer, and uh, just to be aware of the people around us who be aware of the, some, of the, some of the needs and opportunities. And so it's a, it's a really important moment. So I just want to invite you right now to unite your hearts with me as we pray together. Lord, we're so glad as we've sung this morning, we're so grateful for your grace, your mercy, your power. And uh, we treasure all that you have done for us. Lord, we also come before you this morning with great gratitude for our mothers. Uh, we, we follow your word. Uh, we follow the Ten Commandments when we honor our mothers. We follow Proverbs 31 when we praise our mothers for their faithfulness. And so we give you thanks at this time. We know that um, uh, it can be emotionally challenging this day for many people for all kinds of reasons. And so, God, we come before you not only to give thanks for our mothers, but to pray for those mothers here, for those who need, who are discouraged, we pray that you would give them encouragement. For those who are weary, oh God, we pray that you would be their strength. For those who have suffered loss, this year, perhaps the loss of a child or those who have lost their mother and many, many other types of loss, some of which in people's hearts we don't even know about. We pray that you would be the God of comfort. Your word says that you are near to the brokenhearted and you save those who are crushed in spirit. We also give thanks as a church, Lord, for last week's vote, for the uh, overwhelming support for calling Brian Lumshu Chan as the next senior pastor of our church, and we're so grateful to you for that. Lord, there are practical things that uh, we just want to pray for as a church for Brian and his wife, Debbie, because this is a transition for them as they uh, leave the current church where they have been faithfully serving for the last several years. 
Uh, we pray for them as they seek to sell their house and just want to acknowledge that as they move here, that the purchase of a home can be so important for them and for their future ministry in this city. And yet it's, a, it's an incredibly challenging housing market. But you are the God who parted the Red Sea. You are the God who answers prayer, God of great power. So we pray that you would lead them to uh, a reasonably priced home that would allow them to exercise their gifts of hospitality and enjoy being a part of this church and a part of this city. Lord, your word uh, really is, has, has the power to cut to our hearts and also to comfort us. And so as we continue our study of the book of Mark this morning, would you open our eyes? Would you open our hearts? Would you work by your spirit? Because as we sang earlier, you are here. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, it was several years ago that there actually was, there was a mom who worshiped with us on Mother's Day. And I remember talking to her after her visit to our church as she talked about uh, what Mother's Day was like for her. And here's what she told me. Maybe some of you moms can relate. She said, I am uh, a mom 365 days out of the year, sacrificing and giving and doing so many things. And she said, I just need one day. I just need one day where I can be appreciated. One day where I can be encouraged. And, and so uh, for all of you out there, uh, we know that you need that encouragement. And I wanna, I wanna share with you um, a piece of the gospel that I pray will encourage your hearts this morning. It's something that someone shared with Molly years ago and that has actually carried her through life uh, as a mom as now we have older children and grandchildren. But here's what, what Molly heard. Here's the good news of the gospel that Molly heard, and that is this. Children do not need a perfect mother. Children need a mother who knows that she needs a savior. And I know a lot of you are probably thinking, Mike, did you share that with Molly? That's really powerful. No, it wasn't me. I, think, I don't even know where she got it from, but I can't take credit for it. But if you think about that message, really, it's, it's not just the moms in this room that need that message. It's the business owners, it's the friends, it's the missionaries, it's everybody in life, it's the dads, uh, it's, it's everyone in this room needs to hear the message that what matters is not, what people need from you is not that you're perfect, but that you, you know that you need a savior. When that message sinks deeply into our, our heart and it captures our life, it is one of the most life-shaping things that you and I could ever experience. And that's why I'm so glad that we could look at this passage of scripture this morning about the cleansing of the leper. And you might have read that story, just a few verses in Mark 1, 40 to 45, and you go, how is this going to be relevant to me today? You guys, this leper had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life forever. It was a decisive moment in his life and the entire direction of his life was changed 
by an encounter with Jesus. Now, may I be so bold as to suggest that if you and I capture the message of Mark 1, 40 to 45, and carry it in our hearts, that it will forever change us. It will change everything about our lives. We're gonna look at three parts, and we're gonna look at, first of all, it's called the, Jesus cleanses a leper. That's what we're talking about. It's the cleansing of the leper. So just three points we're gonna talk about today. One is the cry for cleansing that we see in the leper. Secondly, the power for cleansing that we see in Jesus. And then thirdly, the freedom of cleansing. So let's go ahead and talk about that. Let's talk about this desperate cry for cleansing that we see in Mark chapter one. Take a look at verse 40 where it's all set up for us here. It says, and a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Have you ever noticed, you notice it right here in this verse, that desperation forces us to our knees. Desperation forces us to our knees. I would, I would be so bold as to say those that will benefit most from this passage this morning would be those who have reached a place of desperation in your life. Because what it did in the life of this leper is it forced him to his knees and that led to the most transforming thing that could ever happen to his life. He cried out to Jesus, he came to Jesus. It is the, def the, the cry for cleansing. Let's talk for a moment about leprosy because you and I don't see a lot of leprosy. We don't know what that's, a we don't necessarily know what that's about. Probably a lot of us, when we hear the term, we picture a very disfigured person, we picture a very isolated person, and that's correct. What's going on, the word leprosy could be used of all kinds of skin diseases, but when it refers to specifically what's called, uh, in the medical world, Hansen's disease, it, refer <clears throat> it refers to a disease where the body's normal system of feeling pain is shut down. And so for a person's entire life, when they should feel pain, they don't. You put your hand on a stove and it disfigures your hand, but you don't even feel the pain. If you're stuck with a knife, if you cut yourself, you don't even feel the pain because your system is shut down. And so over time, that's where the disfigurement of the outward appearance of a leper comes from, is they just don't feel that that pain anymore. But that led to a lot of consequences. And leprosy in the ancient world, what, what, what could happen to a leper is that while they're sleeping at night, vermin, insects, bugs could eat away at their body and they wouldn't even feel it. So just the, thus the, the just not necessarily the pain, but the disfigurement of leprosy that goes on. That's what it was like in the ancient world, and so had these, they had these leper colonies. There, was also, uh, there were also laws in the Old Testament related to leprosy, and so you and I don't spend a lot of time in the book of Leviticus, but I actually did this week. I went back and read Leviticus 13 and 14, where I read about the leprosy laws in the Old Testament. It's, it's, it was a fascinating read. It was a a powerful read uh, in there, but a couple of things I noticed from Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, and you can just think about that when we think about this, this 
this man and what he's going through. First of all, if you had leprosy, you had to be isolated from people. In fact, when you got into a crowd of people, you walk into a room, whatever, you're supposed to shout, unclean, unclean, because you are, according to the Leviticus passage, you are ceremonially unclean. It's not just a matter of being sick, but ceremonially unclean. And so when, when a leper might have been cured or became clean, they had to go before the priest and there were actually sacrifices that had to be made, turtle doves and lambs or whatever, sacrifices because there was an atonement to be made for that. But think about what it's like, what this man has gone through for all these years, living in this leper colony, never experiencing the embrace or the touch of anyone, never a handshake, never a hug from his mother, from his wife, from his children. No embrace, no kisses, no touch. No one has touched this person. So they are not only uh, affected in their skin, but they are isolated from society. So you say, you, you go, no wonder this guy was so, um, so desperate to be healed. And he came to Jesus. And notice his words here as we see his desperation. He says, kneeling, he's imploring him. Kneeling, he said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And he's crying out to him to be clean. There's a, a little bit of a tone uh, in his words here because it's not 100% certain that Jesus is going to do it. So he says, if you will, you can make me clean. And it is almost at this moment as if time stops. Because you wonder in that society, what would Jesus do? This man has already broken the Old Testament laws about leprosy. He has broken through the crowd. He has come up and he has come into the presence of Jesus. He's supposed to stay far away, but he's broken the laws and he's come there and he's so desperate and he's on his knees and he's crying out to Jesus. But time stops, what will Jesus do at this time? Because remember, if Jesus were to do anything, he himself would be violating the Old Testament law. What are we, what are we to make of, uh, of this whole idea of leprosy in the Bible? I think it's interesting that the passage doesn't even use the word healing, it uses the word cleansing. You can notice that word all throughout the passage. And uh, people like Charles Spurgeon, great preachers, people like Kent Hughes, who has an excellent commentary on Mark, I want to share with you a quote about sort of the symbolism of leprosy in the Bible. I've alluded to it by talking about Leviticus 13 and 14. I've alluded to it by talking about how it needs to be cleansed because he was ceremonially unclean. And we need to get a handle on this. So... A lot of times, what, what are miracles for in the Bible? One of the things that miracles do is that they teach us something. They teach us very, very, uh, very important things. For example, if you go to the Gospel of John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man. But we learn later that that healing is symbolic. It is a picture of how we need to have our eyes open by God in order to come to Jesus and to believe in Christ. And so miracles, think about this, miracles have a message. What's the message of leprosy? I want to read to you this quote by Kent Hughes that you have in your bulletin. He says, the nature of leprosy with its insidious beginnings, its slow progress, its destructive power, and the ultimate ruin it brings make it a powerful, 
symbol of moral depravity. I want to encourage you to let that sink in for a moment. It's a powerful symbol of moral depravity. You know, whenever you look at a person that you meet, I was out on my walk this morning and I've got all these friends around the lake and people that I meet with and they have different beliefs and different stories in their lives. The Bible teaches two powerful things about them and about you and about me and everybody in society. Number one, human beings, humankind, each individual is made in the, in, in the image of God and so they have a divine dignity about them, even if they're not a believer in Christ, and even if they're just the, you know, if they're totally out there, they have dignity because they are made in the image of God. In Genesis 3, we learn that that, that image was marred by the fall, but people who, who have been affected by sin, including this leper, have a dignity, and Jesus could treat him with dignity. What a beautiful thing that is for us. We have people in our lives who their, their conduct, their lives are offensive and draining and they're on the margins, but they have dignity in the sight of God. It's the second thing though that the Bible teaches about every human being and that is we would use the word depravity. Now that's not a common word. Uh, Carl Menninger in 1973 wrote a book called Whatever Became of Sin. And uh, it's, it's easy in our society to paper over sin and to substitute all kinds of words for it. But the Bible has an accurate diagnosis that explains all of the evils in the world throughout history and actually explains the human heart. In fact, in Mark chapter 7, we'll get to this at a later date, but it says that from the heart comes all kinds of sins of envy and greed and immorality and, and, and all sorts of other sins, they come from the heart because we, are, we have dignity because we're made in the image of God, but we also have depravity. And it's good to get in touch with that. This, this leprosy in this guy, it, it just makes it so visible to us. It makes, it makes it so vivid to us. The Bible teaches that we are more sinful than we ever imagined. That's what depravity means because it affects our whole system. It affects our whole body. And none of us left to our own devices would even choose God. We've been so affected by the fall. And that's how desperate we are for grace. That's why this man was desperate for grace. He could not cleanse himself of his leprosy. And so he came to Jesus. Now let's, let's look secondly at the power for cleansing. I want you to notice the second point because remember, Time stands still in this moment. What will Jesus do? And I want you to notice what happens next. In verse 41, it says, Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. That must have been amazing news for that leper, for Jesus, because he had said, if you will. He wasn't even sure that Jesus would do anything for him. He said, if you will. And, and Jesus says, says to him, I will be clean. And verse 42 says, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Now I want you to notice a couple of things about Jesus in this passage because again, the miracles have a message. The first message is one about depravity and sin, but the second message is about who Jesus is and why he came. One of the things you see here is that Jesus was moved with pity. 
Sometimes that's translated uh, compassion, which would be accurate. We sang about the compassion of Jesus this morning. It is so good to know that Jesus has a heart that sympathizes with our weaknesses, that enters in, that sees us at our worst and still loves us. And it says that in this passage, think about it, Jesus was not just mechanistic. Jesus was human and he saw this man and he was filled with compassion. And I think that is just a beautiful thought. You and I, when we think of our sin, when we think about coming into Jesus' presence, we might think we're just, we're, he's not filled with compassion. But you see this heart of Jesus here in this passage. Move with pity, he stretched out his hand and look at what he did, he touched him. Now I want you to think about this human touch for a moment. Jesus could have healed him. He had the power to cleanse him by remote control. He did not need to touch him. He didn't always touch people. But in this case, Jesus reached out and he touched him. In fact, in the Greek, the word for touch means that he, he grabbed his arm. Now what is going on in that touch? Well, the first thing is we are, we've already said that for years this guy got no kiss, no embrace, no touch, no handshake, nothing from his family or friends or anyone. The first person to touch the leper is Jesus himself and he reaches out and he touched him. And imagine what that felt like, that the leper would know that Jesus had this pity and he reached out and he touched him. But there's more. We said, I alluded to this earlier, Jesus, by touching this man, is himself made unclean in the eyes of the ceremonial law. Jesus himself is violating the law in Leviticus. He is overriding the law with his compassion and with his love, and he reaches out and he touches this man. And in doing so, Jesus becomes clean. There's an old uh, Eddie Murphy movie called Trading Places, and uh, this is what's happening. Jesus is trading places with this man. And because Jesus himself, by touching him, is becoming unclean while this man is becoming clean. Think about it. These two are reversing their roles. They are trading places. And you know what? That is exactly what happened on the cross when Jesus died. Theologians refer to it as substitutionary atonement. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's the great exchange. It's trading places. It's what Jesus did on the cross. And what he's doing in this story is that Jesus himself is becoming unclean while this leper is becoming clean. This is a, this is a rich truth of the gospel, but it is the means by which God can declare you completely clean, he can declare you righteous, and he can be totally just in doing so because of Christ paying for our sins. An amazing truth going on in this story. I want you to notice one more thing about Jesus here. There's not just the, uh, there's not just the pity and the compassion, but there's also the power of Jesus to cleanse. So it says in verse 42, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Now, the writer of Mark's gospel, Mark, is very fond of the word immediately. It's one of the most common words in the gospel of Mark. But he's highlighting the fact that all it took was for Jesus to touch this man and he was immediately made clean. 
And look at what happens. He, he was made um, Immediately the leprosy left him. It is almost like evil is leaving this man's body. It's almost as if Jesus is victorious in his conquest of evil in this moment. So you remember last week we said, we talked about enter the king. We said the kingdom of God is near. What we see going on here is that Jesus as the king is making real and making near the future kingdom when the entire heavens and earth would be renewed and God would wipe away every tear and there would be no sickness and there would be no sin. What's going on in this passage is a preview, uh, just like a, a movie preview, it is a preview of the coming kingdom and they're getting a taste of that and we are seeing the king being present with this man. So we're seeing what we said last week in Mark chapter one, fulfilled in this story. Now, why is this important? Why is it important for you, you and me to see not only that we're more sinful than we've ever imagined, that's moral depravity, but we're more loved than we've ever dreamed? Because that is what this man is experiencing. That's what's going on here. Remember I said uh, children don't need a perfect mother. They need a mother who knows that she needs a savior. The same is true for all, everyone in this room. And I'd like to have a word right now with the guys in this room, if I could do so. I wanna say a word to guys, whether husbands or not, but I think particularly those of you that are husbands and fathers would realize this. I've often said that I never understood how sinful my heart was until I became, until I got married. And then I never really understood how sinful my, my heart was until I had children. And so I've seen my selfishness, I've seen my sin over and over again in my life. You don't have to convince me that it's there. And I see it. I wanna say though, uh, sometimes what we learn from this passage is that God sees us at our worst and he still chooses to extend compassion and love towards us. And it's, it's so hard to believe that God would do that. I've interacted with a lot of men, and one of the things, one of the words that every man hates to hear, one of the, one of the words that every man fears that could be said to him about his life and about his conduct is the word abuse. You and I as men would do everything in our power to avoid admitting that we've been abusive in some way. I've got a friend, though, who talks about this idea because I've dealt with a lot of situations, whether it's verbal abuse, whether it's emotional abuse, whether it's physical abuse. I have a very close friend who said, who, who would say, if he would say, if I were asked if I have been abusive towards my wife, what I would say is that it's probably true that I was. Do you realize what courage it takes for a man to say that the label abuse could be applied to him and how he treated his wife or how he treated his children? Do you, realize, do, you, do you realize how deep the pain is 
in a man's heart to think about the fact that that might be true. This friend of mine who can actually say the words, I probably have been abusive, would look back over his life and relive scenes where he wasn't considerate of his wife's needs, scenes where he was verbally angry, where he was out of control, where he was controlling or manipulative. But do you see what the gospel does? Do you see what this passage does for us when we, when we realize that we're more sinful than we've ever imagined, but we're more loved than we've ever dreamed, as this, this leper experience, experience here, we see that Romans 5.8 is true, that God, loved, God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we're yet, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, men, talking to you right now, when Jesus died on the cross, he could look down the corridor of time and he could see you at your worst. We all have our best moments and then we have our worst moments. Things that we would weep about, things that we would incredibly regret. Jesus sees you at his worst, at your worst, excuse me. Jesus sees you at your worst. And he says, I still chose to fix my love on you. I still chose to die for you. You guys, that is the greatest news in the world. It is no surprise that we have moral depravity. It is no surprise. That's why my friend could say those words. He could admit that it's true, but all of his fear of admitting it was dissolved by the grace of God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. If you're a man in that situation, let this message set you free, that God sees you at your worst, and Jesus reaches out and touches you at your worst. And you're saying, is Jesus even willing to take me in, like this leper? And Jesus said, I am willing, be clean. You guys, the gospel is so powerful, it is so different from religion. Let's talk about, finally, the freedom of cleansing. Do you notice in this passage, uh, I want to use the word freedom because the, the gospel, you guys, you have no idea, our culture has no idea of how important the word freedom is in the New Testament. Jesus said, if therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. The gospel totally sets us free, and that is what happened to this man. Look at what, what it says here. It says in verse 43, Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, because now the man's clean. Jesus sent him away. What's he going to do with this? And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing what, for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, what's going on here? One, we're seeing that Jesus is complying with the, with the cleansing laws that I referred to in Leviticus 13 and 14. And it foreshadows that one day the, these, these priests and religious leaders were turn, would turn against Jesus. But Jesus is being compliant with the law. Now, this guy, uh, verse 45 says, instead, but he went out, began to talk freely about it to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate, desolate places 
and people were coming to him from every quarter. So think about this for a second. It foreshadows the rejection of Jesus by the religious leaders in this story, but it also foreshadows the incredible popularity, the mass popularity, if you will, the consumerism of the people that see him as something other, they only see him as a miracle worker, they only see him as a superman and a superstar, but they don't see him as one who needs to forgive them and heal them from their sins. And so this is part of the drama of the Gospel of Mark. This is why Jesus is saying, don't, don't spill the beans too soon. I've got to get the message out clearly to people. But this guy, once he was freed, he did not do exactly what Jesus told him to do. You just can't, you just can't control that. When Jesus gives you freedom, like he's done for all of you when you became a Christian, you still have, you, you have greater freedom in your life right now. And you go, and here's the question, what will you do with your freedom now that you have been cleansed by God and loved by God? So this question came up Thursday night. Molly and I were, we just love this group of people that we get together with, with on Thursday nights. We're going through Christianity Explored, and the topic last Thursday was grace. So there we were with all these people sitting around and talking about it, and there was a great question asked that night. Somebody asked the question, if we, if we are saved by grace and not by our good deeds and not by our works, if we are saved simply by grace, then why would we, why would we want to do good works after we become a Christian? Why would we feel a need to do that? And I thought, what a, what a great question for that guy to ask. So here's what I said to him, and it relates to this, this passage in Mark chapter one. I said, Think about this for a second. Years ago, when I, uh, when I was uh, working in a different situation, I had a boss. We're gonna call him boss number one, this guy right here. And that guy, that guy as a boss was the worst boss I've ever had. He was legalistic, he was controlling, he was manipulative, he was shaming. And I worked for him, he was actually a Christian, and I was around this guy that just created this atmosphere of control and fear. But then boss number two, the next year, I had a different boss, and that boss was a guy who was loving, he, was, uh, he trusted me, he created this environment of freedom, there was a freedom to fail, a freedom to be wrong, and it was a totally different environment. So you get the, you get the gist of it, there was boss number one, and there was boss number two. And the, and the whole answer to the question of what happens after I put, put my faith in Christ, why would I do good things? Well, with boss number one, I did my job, but I did it out of fear. I didn't, it was totally for the wrong motive, but with boss number two, I still did my job, but I did it out of love, and I did it out of gratitude, and I did it freely. And that's what's so amazing about Christian freedom, you guys, is it is a gamble, it is a risk for God to set you free, to forgive you for your sins. He does give you the power of the Holy Spirit, but you are free. And so, Boss number one represents fear. Boss number two represents love. Boss number one represents legalism and religion. Boss number two represents the gospel of grace and Christianity. Boss number one represents control and fear and all those things. Boss number two represents freedom and joy and loving God. 
What happened with you when you put your faith in Christ, when he comes along, the Jesus that you see in Mark chapter one, 40 to 45, is like boss number two. You are under new management. And suddenly you have this amazing freedom, all of you, and it is a freedom to enter into community. It is a freedom to obey God. Same as with the leper, he went back in the community. He could go back and he could obey the law of God. That's the freedom that you have and that the gospel is given to you because you're clean. And it is an amazing thing. And we serve God now out of love and out of joy. So you guys, that's the Christian life. That's the Christian life, coming to terms with our sin, acknowledging it. Secondly, experiencing the touch and the grace of Jesus Christ, his compassion and his power. And then thirdly, being set free to now operate in a totally different way, a gospel-centered life that is motivated not by fear and not by love. You guys, this changes our life. God is not looking for you to be perfect. He's looking for you to know that you need a savior and that you would experience this savior. Let's pray together. Lord, we're in awe of a story where the king of the universe and the savior of the world would touch a leper and in doing so would become unclean while the leper becomes clean. Lord, would you work in our hearts that we would so grasp the gospel that it would change the way we live, the way we love, the way we worship. We pray these prayers together in Jesus' name.